You're listening to episode 147 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about how change is inevitable. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, my friends. I'm recording this intro from Oahu, where I was just visiting with some friends and celebrating Maya's upcoming birthday at Disney Aulani. And I was a bit nervous about how it would be that it would be like obnoxious and loud, but it's actually one of the more tastefully decorated kid friendly spots I've been. And other than all the actual like kids, it's pretty chill. Aloha vibes. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. Anyway, listen, my microphone on this trip wasn't working right. And for the life of me, I could not get it to work on my laptop. So I'm recording this intro on my phone and we'll have to do a replay this week. But I promise the new episode I was trying to record today will drop next week. And it's going to be on how we set deep heart-based intentions. And if you don't know what the fuck that is, don't worry. That's why I'm doing an episode on it. (laughs) Okay. Now, you know, I always pick a greatest hit for these situations. And the one I chose for this week has thousands of downloads. And it's about how change is inevitable. And I picked this because one, we transitioned relatively recently into a new year. And two, because we're about to head into spring, another change of seasons. And three, Because for some damn reason, we crazy humans try to either convince ourselves that things shouldn't change and that they should stay the same when we're happy and that things should change faster if we aren't happy. Like we are so in love and we get so disappointed when we have the first argument in the relationship and think, oh, now it's all going to shit. And oh, why couldn't it have just stayed so good, right? And when we're depressed, we're like, oh, we can't wait for it to just end already and have the happiness come back, right? But we forget that change is inevitable. We're so surprised when a job changes or when a relationship shifts, when someone we care about dies, or even when something that we've been using a long time breaks. But really, it is the nature of things to change. It would be awesome if when something good ends, we could try to consider that perhaps nothing has gone wrong. Perhaps that's just the way things are to be. Or that when we're suffering, maybe we can remember, hey, we can do it. We can make it through because it will end. Everything changes. This is one of the few truths we have, if not the only truth that we know for sure. Things change. It's all impermanent. And when we remember this and embrace it, we actually can ride these changes, which will happen no matter how hard we resist change. And we are a whole lot happier with much less unnecessary suffering. And that's kind of the point of this podcast, to decrease our unnecessary suffering. So enjoy this episode and see if there's some kind of change going on in our lives right now that we can be a bit more open to, okay? Until next week, my friends. Hey, hey, crazy humans. How are you doing today? You know, it is autumn 
And I thought that today would be a good day to talk about change and to talk about impermanence because tis the season, right? The leaves are changing. The leaves are falling. Maybe they've already fallen where you are. So today, let's dive into impermanence and trust. And it seems really obvious, right? Things are changing. But this verse from a kind of ancient text says, it seems as though we all thought ourselves permanent. We are not. Although we thought ourselves settled, we are not. Although we thought we would last forever, we will not. But we still like to think things won't change, at least not as quickly, right? Even recently, I was ordering my facial products. I used this like oil-based cleanser and yummy smelling serums and all that jazz. And then I was trying to find my products to order them. And I saw a new one they had. And it said, new age-defying serum. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And I freaking clicked on it. I mean, I like to think I know better that aging isn't something any of us can avoid. But you know, I'm 48 now, loving it, by the way. And I noticed that I started paying attention to these kinds of things lately. So I was like, oh, maybe these folks figured it out because they they have like new technology, right? I mean, who knows why I even thought it might work. But anyway, (laughs) it said it was from grape stem cells. And it's like, well, didn't really help the grapes, right? It's not going to help my skin. But it was interesting just to watch my own mind, how quickly this age-defying serum had me thinking, oh, and then, oh. (laughs) So anyway, how do we deal with change? There's a saying along the lines of, A woman marries expecting their partner will change, but they don't. And a man marries a partner expecting they won't change, but they do. And I know that's a bit of a stereotype, but you get it, right? We are like obsessed with change. This is our dilemma. How many of you have been affected by some kind of big changes that are happening, even beyond the pandemic? Fires, earthquakes, storms, volcanic eruptions. (laughs) How many people are in the middle of some really significant change in your own life or the life of people around you? Moving, changing jobs, relationships ending, loss of loved ones. If we were in person, every single person's hand would be up. So these are the facts of life. Joy and sorrow, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain. Life is like this. It's unfolding and we look for stability in it. But as Suzuki Roshi says, when we realize the fact that everything changes and find our composure in it, that is the fruition of practice. And so what we really teach in Freedom School, for example, and it's one of the deepest and most important of human skills, is the ability to find both resilience, and a kind of contentment or happiness that comes not based on things being held onto or unchanging, but a resilience and a happiness that can move with change. And you may have heard me talk about the different dimensions of mindfulness, the different foundations, right? Mindfulness of body, feelings, mind, and the Dhamma, and then the capacities that mindfulness builds. 
the ability to be with the wider and wider range of the content of our experience to increase the window of tolerance for the joys and the sorrows of life. Mark Nepo writes, everything is beautiful and I am so sad. This is how the heart makes the duet of wonder and grief. The light spraying through the lace of the fern is as delicate as the fibers of my memory. In the very center under it all, what we have that no one can take away and all that we've lost face each other. It's there that I'm adrift, feeling punctured by a holiness that exists inside everything. I am so sad and everything is beautiful. Mm. And this is part, y'all, of the deal of being human. And when we get quiet, we're not going through the motions of life in some unconscious way or just checking off the to-do list of the day. We can become aware that we're in the middle of an ever-changing experience. It's impermanent. Yesterday's done, right? Like bubbles can exist and then they don't. And in our own direct experience of mindfulness of our body and mind, we have sensations and emotions that feel so freaking intense. And then they disappear. It's like, where'd they go? We feel anger and it rises. And then at some point passes away. We become mindful of our thoughts and realize they come and go too. And we start to think about how it felt so real when we believe them. And we get lost in our thoughts, a whole world of mental projections. And then it's gone. And next thing you know, we're thinking, what's the next yoga class I should go to? Or what should I have for dinner? (laughs) Because that's how the mind works. And that means to be able to be present with change is a big part of the art of being human. I feel like that's why I started Freedom School, because we're not really taught this in other school. Although now mindfulness is being taught in some schools. And I have a lot of teachers as clients that bring this work into the classroom. But overall, we end up learning this stuff when we feel really shitty and buffering all the time with over drinking, overeating or whatever, and letting our emotions get the better of us. When that doesn't work anymore, then we're like, oh, let me check that shit out, right? (laughs) Like this month in Freedom School, it's called Mastering Emotional Wellness. I mean, yes, but it would have been kind of nice to know that shit when I was younger, right? (laughs) Anyway, being present with change is one of the great arts of being human. People will talk about divorces, losing their jobs, or kids getting a serious medical diagnosis or their parents aging or dying or having to deal with their estate after they die and all the family conflict that arises. And what we can maybe offer our fellow humans is a kind of presence that can say in a really compassionate way, yeah, this is, life is like this. And not only that, you're not alone. I mean, this first part, it's also part of self-compassion practice. It's not meant to minimize someone's suffering. It's meant to create 
this sense of common humanity, how this is a part of the deal of being human. And, oh, sister, brother, I feel you. I see you. When we suffer due to change, we can think, oh, like this, someone else is also suffering. Not to make us buck up and get over it, but to soften our heart around the edges of the experience and recognize this wild dance of life we're in as humans. This is part of the human journey. We can stay present for it. We can bear witness to it for us and others. We can normalize it and say, yes, there's change. Jack Hornfield's teacher, Ajahn Chah, was said to have held up a cup one day and a whole group was visiting his temple and he held up this beautiful cup someone had given him, kind of like this antique teacup. And he said to Jack, this cup is already broken. And that way I can drink and enjoy it. And when it accidentally gets knocked off and breaks, which it will, I can say, oh yeah, I got to enjoy it fully while it was here. And now it's gone. And this is true for bigger things too, for things like death and grief. Michelle McDonald tells the story of her class of five-year-olds talking about death because kids are actually really interested in that. I know Maya is, she's only seven, right? And she says, okay, we're gonna talk about death today and learn about it. And things are born and you were born and then eventually they die. Go out into the woods around the school where we are and collect things that are dead so we can talk about it. And so they come back with like dead sticks or leaves or maybe a dead beetle or whatever. And they made a whole pile of it and they started to talk about it. And she's like, all right, what do you think about this? How does it appear to you? Right? Kind of inviting their reflections, right? Is this okay? She asks. And one little boy raises his hand and he says, oh, it's such a good thing because if there wasn't death, there'd be more and more and more stuff and there'd be no room for us. (laughs) Yeah, right? So wise. So at first, it sounds really obvious. Things change, you know? And we have kind of a wisdom or freedom or capacity in the midst of it all. As humans, we experience all these changes and the only thing we can do really is to be able to hold one another with tenderness. Society, on the other hand, often tries to convince us that in fact, change isn't going to happen and that we can even try to protect ourselves from it, right? There's like the FDIC, (laughs) ensure ourselves against change, right? And then, you know, with, with my clients in their meditation, or if I'm guiding a psychedelic journey, I'll see that people can have certain experiences that were amazing and they want to get it back, you know? Like I had that amazing moment of peace or bliss. And when that happens, you do, you do want to savor it, dwell in it, experience it, like let it permeate the cells of your body. But that's different than holding on to it and being attached to it. Because something good comes and and then we say, oh, this is so good. I really want to keep it. This is so beautiful, wonderful. I don't want it to change, right? Ah. 
and you release it. It's like, it's like holding your breath when we want to keep things from changing. And the problem with holding on to experiences is that you get a kind of rope burn because it's going to change. It's going to slip away without a doubt. It's inevitable. Change is inevitable. Someone asked Suzuki Roshi, can you please sum up the teachings of Buddhism in a simple way? Like the kind of essence of the Buddha's awakening? And he says these three words. He says, not always so. And I think it's in the Bhagavad Gita, but I'm not sure. But someone's talking to one of the deities and talking about all the miraculous things in the world of like plants coming out of the earth and sunlight and all the miracles of life. And in this dialogue, the deity says, yeah, and you know what one of the most miraculous things I observe on earth is? That people can see others die all around them and think that it won't happen to them. That is really amazing, (laughs) right? Now, that's the ultimate change, right? Death. But that's the quality of everything to change, to be impermanent. Even my daughter, she's seven and she's like, mom, do you know the different states of matter? Solid, gas, liquid, right? And she's telling me how things can change this way. So this is a kind of wisdom of insecurity that we can cultivate with mindfulness and compassion. Ajahn Chah's phrase that he used to answer a lot of questions with was, it's uncertain isn't it? Like he'd get asked all kinds of things about enlightenment and he'd smile and say, it's uncertain, isn't it? And they'd ask, should we do this? Or like, am I practicing right? And he would laugh and he'd say, it's uncertain, isn't it? And when someone asked the Dalai Lama, what happens when we die? He would crack up and say, I have no idea yet. The Korean Zen master, Daesung San Sosanim called it, I don't know mind. And he would look out and he'd say, what is love? Don't know. What is consciousness? Don't know. Who are you really? Who were you before you were born? Don't know. What's going to happen tomorrow? Don't know. Who, what made this universe? Don't know. And he'd say, keep don't know mind. Don't know. And the invitation is to a wisdom of openness about the insecurity of life, to not spiral in anxiety about it, but to embrace it, to dance with it, appreciate it, and rest in it like Ajahn Chah with his teacup. Doesn't mean that we sit around depressed because things are going to change because something good is eventually going to not be. We use it to inspire us to live more fully, to appreciate everything more fully because we know we don't fool ourselves into thinking it's going to be around forever. This moment of love, mm, let me savor it, this joy, this, this laughter, this wild and crazy energy where I'm dancing under the moon with my friends, let's savor that. We can rest in the wisdom of uncertainty and insecurity. We can learn to relax with this. Pema Chodron talks about this relaxation. She went to Chogyam Chungpa when her life was in a lot of turmoil, lots of changes in the middle of a divorce. And she's like, I don't know what to do. There are all these big changes happening in my life. And he looked at her and he's like, they always happen. 
And she says, well, what should I do? And he tells her, relax. So it's okay to rest in change. We can rest in change. I remember when I was teaching Maya to swim, she was four years old or something, and we were at this pool and she was flailing around, like not very successful at trying to learn to swim and getting so frustrated. And at some point, I remember I I took her body and I placed her onto her back in the water and I just said, all right, like just arch your back a little and just breathe. And then I dropped my hands and she just floated. And I could see she realized, oh, I can float. It was a really magical moment. It was like, you know, I talked to her about in the ocean. Okay. So like, like in this flailing takes so much energy. We can relax too. Right? Her body just relaxed and she smiled. We can relax, right? And we can begin to trust in our capacity to handle it. Trust our resilience. And by relaxing and being present in change, we have the capacity to hold it, to let it move through us, to be the space within which this change happens. Or like that kid noticed, within which life renews itself. And this ability to be present, to rest in loving awareness, in compassion and tenderness, also needs to feel that safety of a cocoon, right? And I'm sure you've all heard this analogy or this fact before, but when the caterpillar goes from being a wormy caterpillar into a butterfly, it doesn't just grow wings in the cocoon. It actually dissolves into a fertile liquid and then it reorganizes itself and then it grows into a butterfly. And when it's in that liquid state, there's a special group of cells, check it, called imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells are the ones that know that it can become a butterfly. And they're the ones that say, okay, come on, we're going to fly later. But there's something built into life that wants to renew itself and knows how to renew itself. And this is part of the connection that we have with people when we interact with them. So a letting go and trust in our capacity to deal with it, our resilience. I mean, we were born for this. However hard it may feel, we were born for this and we were born to be resilient or we wouldn't be here, right? Think about the generations of your ancestors that survived disasters, storms, famines, deserts, ocean crossings, ocean risings, pandemics. I mean, I think about my grandparents, right? From Switzerland, they came here and how they died shortly after my dad was born, leaving him and his siblings as orphans. And my dad still lived into his 80s. And my mom coming from the Philippines, both my parents were in World War II. They had me late. They all moved knowing that they might not ever see their family or where they grew up ever again. And think about the stories of like the moms with supernatural strength when an emergency or the ways people survive tragedy and challenges. When some big change happens, maybe someone just dropped off their kids at school that morning or someone said goodbye to their partner when they left for work. They had no idea what would happen that day or of what they would be capable of doing that day. And from the outside, Maybe before they had this big tragedy or this big change that required this immense type of resilience, maybe that person just looked kind of ordinary, right? 
doing some chores, doing some work, waiting for the kids to come home. But on this day, they somehow find the resilience to make it another day, despite whatever big changes happen, whether that's a tragedy like a fire or a death or something like the loss of a job or relationship, the loss of your beloved. I have a friend who lost their child. Such a deep tragedy that many people believe they would never be able to move through. And it was such a gift to witness her moving through it. One day, she was holding her child. And later that day, they were gone. My friend, she didn't disappear when that happened. She stayed. She shared her process. She's now somehow tenderized by it. And now she's even more powerful in the impact she's able to have on others, it seems. I think of these examples of resilience a lot because if they could do it, isn't it promising for the rest of us, yeah? We need to remember that it's okay and in fact necessary to eventually relax into the change, to trust that something new will come, that we have capacities that we didn't know. But we do. We trust that our awareness can hold change and a tenderness again for all that has arisen. And this is moving from focusing on the content of our experience to the process. This is the way life is. It changes and it will continue to do so. And you will be okay. Jack Kornfield said, the ability to tolerate and expand the window of tolerance to be with the experience of life with mindfulness and compassion. The process to see that wherever you look, is in change and to relax with it, to know that it's uncertain and to discover the wisdom of insecurity. And then the next level is to actually become the witness of it, this loving awareness to rest in consciousness itself and find within you a kind of freedom that's untouched by change. Change is going to happen, right? I think Joan Rivers said, our marriage license turned out to be a learner's permit, right? (laughs) Raise your hand if you've been there. (laughs) How many people have experienced in the last decade the loss of a loved one, divorce, loss of a business, or other significant loss, right? This is what happens. And it's tender. It's magnificent. You know, it's almost unbearable in its beauty and the knowledge it will change. I remember one time I was doing a solo in the wilderness. And I just broke out and wept because I was like, one day I'm not going to be on this planet. And I love this planet so much. It is so beautiful. And I love, I love swimming naked in the alpine tarns. I love seeing the big granite peaks. I love feeling warm river rocks on my skin. And I wept not because I was depressed. It was like so beautiful. And like Mark Nepo said, I'm so sad. These concepts are really revolutionary because our culture is teaching something different. We're taught, lock it up, find security, make sure everything isn't going to change, including your face. And that's not the reality. 
Life is change. And people need this medicine in so many times of their life. And when we understand it, something beautiful happens for us. Our resilience, our trust, our capacity to be present, our tenderness and our compassion grow. And you trust in something that's timeless, which is awareness itself, right? And you say, yes, we can be present for this life. We can bring our heart to it and our spirit. And we know that the story isn't finished yet. Look, in terms of evolution, it's totally natural that we resist change, yeah? It's normal for us to really grasp, right? And not want things to change and get that rope burn. So it starts with a lot of compassion around the ways we resist and then ask, how do I begin to soften and open to this flow? You know, Maslow had a near-fatal heart attack. And after that, he wrote, The confrontation with death and the reprieve from it makes everything look so precious, so sacred, so beautiful that I feel more strongly than ever the impulse to love it, to embrace it, and to let myself be overwhelmed by it. My river has never looked so beautiful. Death and its ever-present possibility makes love, passionate love, more possible. So there's this sense that as we open, we become that openness where the love of the universe can really flow through us. And while our habitual mode is to resist as we wake up, we learn to become the space that it's all happening in. And then there's incredible beauty. So I know I'm reading a lot of poetry today, but the topic of impermanence and change really lends itself to poetry, right? So here's my last one. Here's by Hafiz. One of my fave poets of all time, right there with Neruda for me, called Deepening the Wonder. Death is a favor to us, but our scales have lost their balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening the wonder in our senses and eyes of this mysterious existence we share and are surely just traveling through. If I were in a tavern tonight, Hafiz would call for drinks. And as the master poured, I would be reminded that all I know of life and myself is that we are just a mid-air flight of gold and wine between their pitcher and their cup. If I were in the tavern tonight, I would buy freely for everyone in this world because our marriage with the cruel beauty of time and space cannot endure very long. Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the illumined ones laugh and sing. Damn. So there you have it, rebels. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the illumined ones laugh and sing. So I don't know about y'all, but I'm not an illumined one (laughs) and change does not always make me laugh and sing. But I can remember, and so can you, we can remember what's possible. We can remember this is life. This is the way it is. We can relax. We can trust in our capacity to handle what life sends our way. That zigi, that radiant inner confidence, you know, the analogy I've given when we're standing at the ocean's edge, it's not like 
I'm going to stand here and fight the waves because I we can't. We're not strong enough to fight the wave. But when the wave overtakes us, we can trust in our ability to get back up because why we have every time before and so have our ancestors. We have that ZG. We have that radiant inner confidence. So Rebel, today, trust you can handle the change. Whatever change occurs, remember that this is how things are supposed to go. This is life. And it is so much more tender and beautiful because of it. Savor things when they are so, so good. And then release when they are no longer. Well, my friends, the Adventure Mastermind is full. Our first retreat's on March 30th, but you can get on the wait list at adventuremastermind.com and be the first to know about the next cohort and retreat dates and locations because I know we're needing to plan further out these days. So we'll send those out for the next one for 2024, right? always an awesome surprise to hear where we're doing it and what's going on. And in the meantime, you can try to start to build your foundational skills in this work and get weekly coaching from me, from yours truly in Freedom School. Head to joinfreedomschool.com and check out the goods. See you in class. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, Go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.